Johnson, Coates, Lewis, and Shusterman. You're forgiven for mistaking them as a white shoe law firm representing authors or publishers in yet another high-stake copyright infringement case. Welcome to Copyright Clearance and his podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. Indeed, novelist Adam Johnson, journalist Tadahasi Coates, poet Robin Coase Lewis, and young adult author Neil Shusterman are all winners for 2015 of the National Book Awards. With all the news from the recent gala ceremony, Andrew Albany, senior writer at Publishers Weekly, joins me now from his New York office. And welcome back to Beyond the Book, Andrew. Greetings, Chris. Well, indeed, it's always a special week uh, for the publishing business when the National Book Awards ceremony convenes. Uh, it was down at uh, the Cipriani downtown in New York City. And um, as we've gotten used to, there were some surprises. Absolutely. You know, once again, publishing's big black tie event. And as you say, uh, there was actually a pretty big surprise this year with Adam Johnson receiving the Fiction Award for his book, Fortune Smiles. Uh, and even though Johnson is a highly respected and well-known author, I uh, remember he won the Pulitzer Prize in 2013, I believe, for The Orphan Master's Son. Uh, and he was pretty much shortlisted for every other major prize that year as well. But almost no one I spoke to before the event expected Johnson to walk away with the MBA because because Fortune Smiles is a collection of short stories. So I think it's pretty rare for collections to win the top prize uh, at the NBA. I haven't actually gone back and looked at how rare, but I, I plan to this week. And, you know, it's well-deserved, of course. And uh, if it is as rare as I think it is, it's not only a victory for uh, a leading voice in American fiction today, but also uh, for short fiction. Another victory was not much of a surprise, at least for you anyhow, and I don't think for many others in the room. ta Coates won in the nonfiction category. Yeah. On the other hand, no surprise there at all. As you say, I think I've mentioned more than a few times on this podcast how I thought Coates would walk away with the award pretty much hand down for Between the, the World and Me. He took home the nonfiction prize with a book that tells the story of his friend, Prince Jones, who was killed by a police officer. And it's told in the form of a letter to his young son. Very moving stuff. Uh, and obviously, it was a very timely book as well. And an important one, I think, for America, uh, given the events in Ferguson and Baltimore and the rise of uh, movements like Black Lives Matter. Uh, but you know, I have to say, I've been a fan of ta Coates for a long time. I think he is one of the best young writers, uh, best writers, period, at work in America today. And I'm really glad to see his work recognized with this award. Uh, and I also want to take this moment with ta victory to uh, shout out his editor, Chris Jackson at Spiegel and Grau, who has had a pretty massive year with two very important books, Brian Stevenson's Just Mercy, which won the ALA's Carnegie Award in June, and now Coates with the National Book Award. And uh, Jackson was promoted to uh, VP and editorial director this year. So a big year for Chris Jackson. So congratulations to him as well. Uh, you can read more about the National Book Awards, of course, on the PW website. And there'll be more on Monday's issue, uh, including about uh, the Achievement Award for Don DeLillo, who I'm happy to know, one of my favorite novelists, who has a new book coming out next year. All in all, just a, a really great night to celebrate uh, great authors and books. All right. Well, you know, great authors and great books, uh, they, they come together in New York, but they also come together every fall in November at the Miami Book Fair. We've been uh, joining the congregation over the last several years. We'll do it again this year. Uh, the fair kicked off uh, earlier 
earlier this week, and we'll be there on Sunday for a session looking at that very subject. Great books and where in the heck, where in the future we're going to find them. As you know, Andrew, uh, readers and booksellers were delighted this year by discoveries of these half-century-old manuscripts that yielded ghosts at a watchman and what pet should I get by the beloved uh, children's author, Dr. Seuss. Um, yet audiences, not to mention publishers, are going to need to discover new tales and new talent if the book business is going to survive. So our panel is called Books from Boxes. Where will we find the next bestsellers? And it's set for 4.30 on Sunday uh, at the Miami Book Fair Center Gallery, room 1365, on the College of the Miami-Dade County College. So if you're in the area, please do join us, and we'll have a podcast as well uh, later this month. So by way of preview, Andrew, tell us about your own thoughts on this subject. Where are the next best books going to come from? Well, I'm really looking forward once again to the Miami Book Fair, which is the biggest and best consumer-oriented book fair in America. And I want to thank you, Chris, for having me on your program once again. I think this is our third or fourth, maybe fifth year in a row now. I, I, I've really enjoyed every time I've taken a trip down there. So, uh, And also for organizing a really rich topic of discussion. Um, you know, I really look forward to re- seeing where you take the conversation. But you know, some of the major beats I'd hit at now, some of the thoughts that will animate my comments, I'd say, is that we really do have sort of a brand new cultural world ahead of us. Uh, and the book is no longer the center of that world. I think everyone would agree that the Internet is. Uh, and it wasn't so long ago that books, you know, even with the prominence of film and television throughout the last few decades, books still provided most of our big cultural moments. It was provided the fodder for TV and for movie adaptations. And there were m- more pages devoted to books and newspapers and magazines. And now, frankly, there are fewer newspapers and magazines left, not to mention books and newspapers. For so much of our history, we had to make time to watch television or we had to make time to watch a movie. Uh, And now everything from books to unlimited streaming of TVs, music, TV shows, it's all available on the same screen that we carry around in our pockets with us or in our bags with the iPad. You know, there was a time when we once had Time to read. There was more quiet time in America. There was less social media. You know, even on airplanes, you know, I now find myself watching more and more movies through the in-seat entertainment consoles than catching up on good books. And that's just happened in the last decade. So I think one of the pressing questions for me that I hope to explore with this is how our attention is being challenged, how there's so much competition for our attention now, especially that everything is sort of boiled down to this one screen that can offer everything from film, social media, music, reading. You know, where does that leave books and what does that portend for the future of literature and how do we christen new lifelong readers and book buyers and how do we encourage new writers too? Because, you know, kids today are growing up learning how to write code as much as they're learning how to write sentences. Absolutely. Great point. And, you know, when we think about it, uh, it can veer off into the sort of cranky old man discussion, but we don't want to do that because this isn't so much about nostalgia for days gone by, but it really kind of uh, uh, clear-eyed look at where we stand and, and, and where we can get to in the future. So uh, it's kind of good news, bad news, if you will. So give us the quick good news first. Yeah, well, I think the good news is that overall, there are more people reading today than I think have ever been reading before in history. And that's when you factor in uh, print books and digital and all of the reading we're doing on our phones and tablets, uh, all of the sharing of things that we're doing on our phones and tablets through social media. And we are also writing more than ever before. You know, 
MFA programs in creative writing are exploding. They're just getting bigger and bigger. Self-publishing now is a real and viable path for writers who in the past had no real options to reach an audience. And I think we're also on the cusp of a golden age of small presses, you know, through indie publishing. You know, you, you think back to what it meant to write a book. Uh, even go back far into the 80s when you know, before the personal computer where writers were weeded out by the machinery, I think, at the most base level, right? Because typewriters were no picnic. You know, you had to change ribbons and, you know, pay for paper and all this stuff. And now, you know, if you've got a computer, you can write a 100,000-word epic no problem at all. So I think from the word processing to the desktop revolution of the 80s to now, right in my adult lifetime, the world of literature has been democratized. The world of storytelling has been democratized. And faster than any period in history. So I think that is really good news. Absolutely. I'm a First Amendment firster, as I like to say, but I'm also someone who thinks that there's real value in seeing more people express themselves. So, so I'm with you on the good news. What about the bad news? Well, we're sort of in this uncomfortable period of transition, right? You know, we're in this period where these long-respected, long-revered cultural institutions are facing strong headwinds. You've got publishers and bookstores and libraries, to name a few of the institutions that are under pressure these days. You know, and what we've seen thus far is you know, pretty much corporate consolidation at the top. You know, we're down to five major publishers who now control 90% of the bestseller list. You know, we have one publisher that controls over 50%. That's Penguin Random house, who, by the way, took home three of the four National Book Award prizes this week. And at those houses, you know, publishing has largely become a hits-driven business, where publishers used to sort of work with authors and develop authors, and you, you had a chance to build your audience uh, through those publishers. You pretty much now have to be you know, a, a hit right out of the box if you're going to continue to publish with the major. Now, a lot of that slack is being picked up by the indies that I mentioned before. But at the same time, we have companies like well, I'll just say it. We have Amazon. <laughs> you know, Amazon and companies are, are like Amazon are looking to become essential in every step of the writing process, possibly disintermediating some institutions that have, you know, long survived in America. You know, this week, I think a good example of that is that Amazon released free screenwriting software. So it's trying to embed itself well upstream in the process, in the creative process, not just in retailing, but in every step of the way. So, you know, I think it's really hard to predict the future. And as you say, I don't want to be a grumpy old man and I'm not a grumpy old man. Well, maybe I'm an old man, but I'm not grumpy. And, you know, I'm generally an optimist, but in publishing, I think change is coming so fast that it's hard to make sense of what's good, maybe what's not so good, more to the point, what's next. But I'm certainly looking forward to having that discussion at Miami. And helping us make sense of it will be Oren Tyker, the CEO of the American Booksellers Association as well as uh, the audience members. We hope that uh, they'll bring their thoughts to this discussion. And, you know, I have to say uh, your point about typewriters uh, made me reflect on uh, handling those machines in my old days. And, you know, it wasn't just the ribbons you had to change in the paper. It was all that whiteout you had to have, too. Oh, my goodness. Back when I was an editorial assistant in 1989, I only had a typewriter on my desk. And sometimes some of the documents that I would type would have so much whiteout on them, I swear they'd shatter if I dropped them <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> I remember that as well. Anyway, Andrew Albany, senior writer for Publishers Weekly, regular Friday guest on Beyond the Book, and my companion down at the Miami Book Fair this coming Sunday 
And we look forward to having you join us if you're in the Miami area. Andrew, thanks for joining us today on Beyond the Book. My pleasure, as always. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center, a global rights broker for the world's most sought-after materials, including millions of books and e-books, journals, newspapers, magazines, and blogs, as well as images, movies, and television shows. You can follow Beyond the Book on Twitter, find us on Facebook, and subscribe to the free podcast series on iTunes or at our website, beyondthebook.com. Our engineer and co-producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. My name is Christopher Keneally. For all of us at Copyright Clearance Center, thanks for listening to Beyond the Book. 